Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I have another question. Here it is. What is the best or worst car you've ever owned? All right, so I'm going to pick worst car. Okay. Because uh, I drove a minivan in high school, so it was kind of like... The family, well, like the car that the kids drove, like the, the teenagers drove. Um, but we called it the monoxide mobile because there was something wrong with the air conditioner heating or whatever. So that if you if you turned on the heat in the car, some sort of fumes came into the, you know, into the cabin of the car. So it, in order to ride in it, you had to have the windows down because otherwise you'd get lightheaded. Someone get a headache. And we were like, we're not so sure this is okay. So we drove around all winter long and we lived here like in Illinois and we would just have some windows open all the time. So you always had to wear a coat. And the thing about this is this was when I started dating Michelle. So I like, I would be driving my family around and she'd be like, like headed home from church and she would be like walking and we'd be, I'd be like, Hey, you want to get a ride? You know, like trying to connect with this girl. And she's like, there's no way I'm getting into that thing. So yeah, that that's the worst. She still makes fun of me for that one. The monoxide mobile. All of, all of the fume inhalation explains a lot why Clayton can never really answer these questions without a thousand (laughs) qualifications. I think we're, I think we're starting to dial in on some things going on here. Okay, my my favorite car, my best car, has nothing to do with the car itself. It has to do with the story behind why I owned the car in the first place. My son, who is the oldest of our four kids, totaled the car I was letting him drive, which was a fully loaded Ford Explorer sport track. So he went from fully loaded Ford Explorer with a sunroof. He's living the good life at, you know, 17 years old, driving, driving a truck. He totals it. So I said, okay, you're about to learn a lesson. We're going to take the insurance check and we're going to go down to CarMax and I'm not paying one penny more than what this insurance check will buy. Mm. So we drove off the CarMax lot with a bright blue Honda Fit. It was he went from <laughs> he went from Ford Explorer fully loaded to a bright blue Honda Fit and so my daughter's affectionately called the car Susan. <laughs> and so Susan is my favorite car because it was a good life lesson for my son, who then, by the way, proceeded to crash two more cars. Not Susan. Susan is still kicking Susan's strong. Still yeah. Kicking. Oh, wow. yeah. My my daughter Courtney, who is in uh, at the University of Cincinnati, still drives Susan. Oh, that's awesome! Wow, that's great. Um, my best car is uh, my Mustang. I say my Mustang because I still have it. I don't drive it. still have it. Um, I need to sell it. So if anybody wants a Mustang, let me know. Um, but here's the thing. The story behind it is is also important to me. So this was my first car. And um, my, my parents uh, tucked me to a car lot. I, I wanted like a remember Dodge Neons? Oh yeah, I had a Dodge Neon. Yeah, yeah. I wanted a Dodge Neon. I did not want a Mustang. Nobody wanted okay? a Dodge Neon. I wanted a Dodge Neon. <laughs> this isn't a true story. It's really true. This is all fabrication. No, I wanted to I wanted a Dodge Neon and I wanted to like outfit it like one of those Fast and Furious cars. It oh, goes back okay. to that. Okay. Make sense it really now. it does. Okay. So we go to the car lot and my dad's like, Look, there's a Dodge Neon, we're gonna go look at it, right? And so I was like, Okay. So we go, we get there, and um, I walk into now, I should have maybe guessed something. My dad's like, if you could have any car in the world, would it really be a Dodge Neon? I was like, no, nah, I like Mustangs. They're nice if I could have any car in the world. But I really want a Dodge Neon. Okay. 
We go into the car dealership, and there's a Mustang in the, in the showroom with red and white balloons on it. Red and white happened to be my favorite color. So they went in, and they bought me the Mustang instead of buying me the Dodge Yeah, Dad because Dad. even your they father knew me. that you should not want yeah. a Dodge <laughs> Exactly. Dad. My dad knew, no, this car is better than that, that car. So uh, so I got a Mustang. It was, I was yeah, super, your dad's looking out for you. Yeah. I was really surprised. <laughs> I started to cry. You could get, like, the little trembles going, like, oh, my gosh, you just got me, just got me that car. Like I was, I was freaking out. So that's the story. But my the Mustang. red and white Mustang is now for sale. Black. It's a black Mustang. It, oh, had, it had red and white, balloons, red and white on balloons on it. Yeah. it. It's oh. a black Mustang. I need to sell it. I want to hold on to it. It's almost classic. It, it's a 2001. So it's been I been around know. a bit. Is that a classic year for Mustangs? No, I think it. What is a classic? Does it have to be 25 years old to be a classic? I don't. Cla- I don't Clayton's know enough about guy. that stuff. I'm not a car guy. Yeah, I don't know. If you know. Email me at podcast at thebiblesavvy.com. <laughs> <laughs> I did that one on my own. Did it work? <laughs> yeah, but you said the Bible savvy. That's so right. No, it, didn't, it didn't work. Podcast at bible-savvy.com. And everything you say now is suspect because you wanted a Dodge Neon. <laughs> Please disregard I've everything lost all else of my credibility for this entire episode. And Kayton is all hopped up on monoxide fumes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Okay, everyone, I'm the only credible voice on the podcast oh, today. Boy. Here we go. Hey, I heard we uh, had some uh, listener feedback. Oh, yes. We did. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, a shout out. But we have to keep the shout out <laughs> semi-anonymous because I'm pretty sure that the person that provided the feedback violated some rules of their job and could get fired if they were outed. <laughs> Ooh, oh, wow. wow. It's a mail carrier who put a personal note in someone's mailbox who they know goes to Christ community. So the mail carrier, obviously delivering the mail every day, at some point saw a Christ community yard sign in this person's yard. Well, this mail carrier listens to the Bible Savvy podcast and watches our weekend services online sometimes and has learned and appreciated has appreciated the podcast and so wrote a personal note to the people Aww. that they know go to Christ Community because of their Christ Community yard sign, put the personal note in the mailbox, which I'm pretty sure that none of us are supposed to be doing. So an anonymous shout out <laughs> to the awesome. mail carrier who broke mail carrier rules to express their appreciation about the podcast. Way to go, mail, mail, mail carrier. I can't say that. Yes. Way to go, mail carrier. <laughs> Your secret's safe with us. All right, Clayton, what passage are we looking at today? All right, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 21. little context here. So Jesus is continuing his ministry as he's going around Israel. He's teaching. He's explaining things. He's calling people into the kingdom. But this is creating tension. And there is this uh, kind of recurring conversation that's going on between him and the Pharisees and other, uh, you know, religious teachers and so on, uh, talking about, all right, how do you keep purity? So there are these debates, you know, uh, do, how do we need to keep Sabbath? How do we need to have clean and unclean foods? Who do we eat with? Who's, who's in and who's out? It's basically a question. There's this debate about where the lines between a good follower of, of Israel's God and everybody on the outside. And so really, Jesus and the people around him are having this conversation about where the boundaries are between the inside and the outside. And so Jesus is about to have a very interesting interaction uh, with someone who seems to be on the outside because he goes to a place where it's mostly Gentiles. So we're going to pick it up in verse 21 and read through verse 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity 
came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. All right, let's move on to the O in comma, which is observations. So let's make some uh, observations. What do we see in this passage? The first observation that I noticed was that, so a Canaanite woman, she is not a Jew. She's a Gentile, like you were saying, um, but she called him Lord and she referred to him as son of David. Um, That's kind of neat. Yeah, there's something there's something going on there that's a, a little up. unexpected. Yeah, I know, I noticed the phrase Canaanite woman too because uh, this this is a historical detail which I believe can be found in the footnotes of the study Bible. But uh, Canaanite is an old term, so if you have been reading through the Old Testament. Um, you'll recognize that the Canaanites were the people who lived in the land before Israel got there. But this is, you know, uh, 1,500 years earlier, right? So, like, we're not talking about the time of Jesus. There's no Canaan. Like, there are no Canaanites Mm -hmm. in the sense of, like, this is a group of people who call themselves that. So it's almost using, like, a historical term for the people of the land that were there. And she may be descended from them, but they wouldn't have called themselves that necessarily. And it's evoking that idea that... Um, these are people who God displaced in order to give Israel their land. So it's it's kind of calling back. Matthew is kind of calling back to those stories of like Joshua going in and invading or um, God telling the people, hey, don't intermarry, don't interact with these people of the land because they're going to mislead you, that sort of thing. Um, it's using a word that's loaded for a Jewish audience. Uh, my observation is that her, her daughter was demon-possessed and suffering terribly. And then in verse 28, uh, it says... And her daughter was healed at that moment. So once again, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Jesus can just speak a word and people are healed or things happen. One odd thing to me, just kind of going back in a bit in the passage, is when she calls out to him, he chooses not to answer her at first. Yeah. It says that Jesus did not say a word. And instead, it was his disciples that came in and was kind of like, yeah, like... Send her away. We don't, we don't need to be bothered with her, Jesus. She just keeps crying out and bothering us. Just send her away. We don't need to talk to her. And then he answers her. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So again, it's calling back to the Old Testament, to what you were talking about. But it's a really odd interaction there that's somewhat confusing. Well, Jesus seems to be kind of a jerk like three times. First, he doesn't answer her. Mm-hmm. When we have seen him answer so many people like there's stories of him like in a crowd and someone like reaches out and touches him and he's like yeah, who, who all the people that? were all fed people. or all the people yeah. were healed and then he says i'm not here for you mm-hmm. and then he, then he calls her a dog like it's not right to th- take the children's bread mm-hmm. meaning like the you know the, the israelites right like to throw their bread and throw it to the dogs which was kind of a derogatory way of talking about non-jews gentiles and so he like three times he does something that is is very dismissive and very rude and and downright offensive. So it feels really odd, um, especially because it's Jesus. So it like raises some questions here. 
Yeah, you don't normally connect Jesus and the word jerk in the yeah. same sentence, right? Um, and what in that whole concept of the children's bread, that's talking about like the covenant blessings that had been promised to the Jews. And here now, this Gentile woman is asking for a, a, a part of it, a part in it. And she's saying, uh, actually, God, I just want the crumbs. If you'll just give me just a portion, of, I'll take the crumbs off the floor if you just heal my daughter. That's like, that is so, uh, it's, it's like heart-wrenching in the sense yeah. to say, if I could just have the crumbs, could you please just give me that? Yeah, it, we've all known people who have been in such desperate situations mm-hmm. that they say whatever it takes, and they they don't feel they 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 can't have any shame. They have to just go and beg and get and get whatever they can get. And she's clearly in that place. Mm-hmm. What, what do we think about the rudeness of Jesus here? Now, Jesus is—I mean, we know that he's capable of saying some pretty sharp things, but it's usually to someone who is a little bit more of a hypocrite, a little bit—you know—he's he takes aim at the people who've got—you know—they're they're, they're kind of—you know—seem like they're doing okay. This is a desperate woman, and. I can't think of another time when he seems this disrespectful to someone in such a, a situation. What, what do we make of that? Yeah, that is true. Normally when Jesus is being very pointed, he's talking to people in power who are misusing their power. He's, he's normally not like this with people who don't have power. Uh, tone is everything, right? And so, you know, there, there's lots of places where we read the Bible and we have to be careful that we don't read into the text our own tone. Because uh, that may or may not be true with what's going on. Um, and so the first thing I start with here is I tend to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt. Right. So, <laughs> right, right. so probably a good right, practice. Yeah. Yeah. Because all, if I read all of the Gospels, it paints a picture of Jesus that this does stand out as different. Mm-hmm. Right. One of these things is not like the other. So I try to understand this this occasion in light of everything else we see about Jesus. That, that's part of my answer. I, I think one of the keys here is, uh, I think, Nikki, you pointed this out. First, Jesus doesn't say anything, and the people who bring it up are the disciples. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually think that this is kind of the, the key that unlocks the interaction, because the disciples say, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. So they just assume we, we shouldn't bother with her, and if we could just be done with her, that would be convenient for us. Like, they're dismissive of her, clearly. And I wonder if what Jesus is doing is intended to lead the disciples along in a lesson about their atti- what their attitude should be towards a, a person like this. So, in some ways, Jesus is expressing um, the common way a Jewish teacher and, and the kind of, you know, good Jewish people might have thought about someone like this. And so he says, I'm not going to answer. And then the disciples, you know, kind of respond, like, get rid of her. And then he says something that's like technically true, but could be misinterpreted. Like, I came, I came for Israel. Like, you, the mission of Jesus during his lifetime, he didn't, like, go out to all the countries. He just went to the people of Israel to announce the kingdom of God. That was where it started. And so he's saying it true. But if you're Jewish, you're thinking he only came for Israel. And then he uses a phrase that they would have found very, very normal saying, we're not, those, those Gentile dogs. But there's something about it that it's almost like he's trying to provoke the interaction so the disciples will see something that they would have missed, that they're going to see this woman respond in a way that shows that the boundaries of their, their community of who, who can belong and who can't might actually be bigger than they assume. So he's saying the stereotypical things, getting an unexpected response, and then the zinger is, 
here's great faith. And he did that before. I don't know if you remember this. With We, we talked about the centurion. Like this Roman mm-hmm. general guy. And, and you know, this, this should be a guy he should send away. He's, he's an outsider. And he's like, I've never found faith like this in Israel. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like another, another one of those stories. So I think this might be less about the woman learning or something and more about the disciples learning something. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I thought it, I when you asked that question, my my intention was to uh, was that he want or my my first thought was well, he wanted to teach the disciples something because they were so harsh in their response. Yeah, yeah, it, his his response could have been harsh in the sense that he didn't answer her um, at first, but um, send her away is like wow, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it. I think it is trying to teach the disciples a lesson, and anybody else who was listening as well, anybody else who would have been there, um, he came for one thing, but that didn't. Eventually, it was going to include everybody, and I, I think he wanted the disciples to know that when the time comes that I'm gone, um, you're going to still be teaching about the kingdom of heaven and who it's coming for, and it's going to include these people too. Yeah, absolutely. The second part of my answer here is Jesus doesn't say anything that's untrue. It's yeah. masterful. <laughs> yeah. It's masterful. He's leading the witness. He's teaching the disciples a lesson. I think there's I think there's something here too with the woman. Like I think the woman is learning something mm. too. It is true that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Like he's the Messiah, right? And and God's story working out through human history is happening through the people of Israel. Now, not only to Israel, the whole idea was Israel was going to be blessed so that they could be a blessing to all the nations. So he doesn't say anything untrue there. Then his second statement is, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That is also true. Like, just just think generally in a family. It's not right to steal the children's meal off the table to feed the dogs with it. So that's not untrue. Uh, And then, woman, you have great faith. True. Your request is granted. True. So in this yeah. whole interaction, Jesus is only speaking truth. Yeah. There, there's a, a, like a principle in interpretation that um, – so the technical terms is this. So you don't have to remember these words, but they're the technical terms. is There's the locution, the illocution, and the perlocution, which are just fancy ways of saying this. There's the literal words you say. Okay? So there's the like what does the sentence say and mean? And then there's the illocution, which is what you're trying to do with the sentence. So you don't just you're not just trying to say information true. You're trying to say I'm saying the sentence to cause an effect. And then the perlocution is what what actually comes about because of it. What what impact does it make on the world? What do you do with it? And so when Jesus is saying these things, you could take the face value just the sentence itself and take it out of context, out of what he's doing and make it mean something that is not Jesus. But in the context He's he's doing something with it that's different that that changes the the meaning of it. It like gives it a certain kind of sense. And so some some of it like when we talk about context being so important, this is really what we're saying. If you take a sentence out of the Bible and throw it someplace else, you can make it sound like it means a lot of different things than it really does. But if you keep it in the story, you keep it in the culture, you keep it in the flow of things, you realize oh, it's doing something important, and that's that's really where the meaning comes in. Hmm. That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. The Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. That's why context matters, Canaanites, dogs. What's going on with all of this stuff? Well, you can learn about cultural context in the study notes of a good study Bible, or 
you can register for Bible 201. And by taking Bible 201, I will take you in a time machine and I will take you back to the cultural context of the Bible. Bible 201 is coming up soon. Hit the website and register today. And this has been your comma tip of the week. All right, let's move on to the first M in comma, which is message. This is where we take what we've seen, we try to sum it up in a sentence or two, and take a principle from what we've taken that we can apply to our lives. So what's your message? My message is to uh, be persistent and humble in prayer. How'd you get that out of that text? Her persistence. Uh, she, For one thing, she kept coming back to Jesus. Uh, she kept bringing her need before him over and over again. Um, but then she even had uh, enough humility to say, Jesus, if you could just give me a little bit, I know that whatever you can do is going to help my daughter. So be persistent in your need, but then humble to know that he's going to answer the prayer. Um, or maybe you won't, however it is that he sees fit. Yeah, three times she comes back. Mm-hmm. And she's there's some gumption to it, too. Yep. Like she's not taking over an She's answer. not giving up. Yeah, when he says it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, she says, yes, it is. Yes, it is, Lord. (laughs) Wow. Yes, it is. All right. Uh, My message is that Jesus knew his mission. So when you start talking about, you you see it all over the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to see it a lot later in more of the parables, uh, the whole idea that Jesus came first for the people of Israel, but not only for the people of Israel. Uh, and so Jesus Jesus understood and had a laser-like focus on the mission for which he was sent. My message is this. Anyone with desperate faith is your sister, no matter how culture wants to divide you. So this is, this is a woman who everything about their world says uh, the disciples are on one side, she's on the other side, we're different groups of people. But Jesus basically says this, you know, he's implying... The fact that she has desperate faith, that's what makes her an insider. That's what gets her the blessings of the kingdom. So uh, anyone with des- desperate faith is your sister or brother. Yeah, that's the that's the lesson they learned earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember when Jesus gets in the boat and he goes across the lake to the region of the Gadarenes, which is non-Israel territory, right? So he's, he's interacting with Gentile people on that side of the lake, and you have the demon-possessed person. Yeah. So this is the second time in the Gospel of Matthew— that it's being very clear that someone with spiritual need was healed and they weren't yes. from Israel. They weren't of the people of God. Well, and you throw in the, the, the centurion. centurion yeah. he's, he's, they're sprinkled through. So mm-hmm. this is a little preview. We'll, we'll get there eventually. But the, the very last verse of Matthew is probably one of the most famous ones in Matthew, which is go to all the nations and make disciples, right? So it's the, it's the Great Commission. And it's this shocking thing of like, we're going to all the nations, not just Israel. But Jesus has been like, here and there, like dropping these in, even though he's mostly in Israel, they're, he's like, no, wait, 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 wait. Let me give you a little preview because they're going to be your brother and sister. All right, let's go on to meditation here. Uh, for meditation, we're going to look at verse 28, and it says this, Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Take 45 seconds to ponder that verse.
All right, the next step is A, which is application. What are we going to do in response to this passage? Uh, my message, again, is uh, be persistent and humble in prayer. So my application would be in faith to tell Jesus uh, what you need, uh, what you want, and, again, to be humble and trust that he will either answer that prayer or not according to his time and what he knows is best for you, what you're going to need in the present and in the future. So uh, there's a persistence in prayer, but there's also this humility to know God knows what's best for me. Oh, man, I have two applications. One would be on the verse you had us meditate on. A woman, you have great faith, your request is granted. And so I'm just thinking about the fact that Jesus has all authority. One word from Jesus. And so the the application for there would be, man, trust trust Jesus for stuff because he has all of the authority. If I go back to my message, which is Jesus was on mission and he knew his mission, then I start asking the question, well, that mission isn't over. God is still at work. His purposes are still being carried out throughout human history. So his mission is still somehow working its way out in my life and through my life. Uh, so I'm thinking about the Philippians text, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day Christ Jesus returns. Uh, so my application there is to take a few minutes and think, God, what are you, what are you doing in my life these days? Or what are you trying to do through my life these days? Uh, my application uh, for my message, which is anyone with desperate, desperate faith is, is your sister or brother. Um, it makes me want to open my eyes to see the people that I would have written off. Uh, There's every one of us has groups of people or individuals that we say, you know what? There's no way, no way they're going to believe they're kind of on the outside. They're not interested in church. They're not interested in religious stuff or whatever. And I I mean, that was the mindset that the the disciples had. This is a person who's on the outside there. We don't have to worry about them. Um, And, and I think having that um, sense of, you know what? The door might be open. This person may surprise me. They may not seem like a religious insider, but they've got faith. They're, they they know their need, and so they're going to reach out if they're they're offered a chance to connect with Jesus. All right, friends. There you have it. Thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, uh, check out BibleSavvy.com to download and start reading. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.